millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So welcome to another edition of Face to Face. It is a beautiful sunny evening here in Vancouver and I'm sitting on the, I think the 53rd floor of a really amazing hotel here in the city with, uh, with a guest I can't wait for you to meet. Her name is Sandra Tai, Dr. Sandra Tai actually. Thanks for joining us today, Sandra. Well, you're welcome, David. So we are gonna talk about some interesting, I, th I think um, uh, Sandra and I met maybe, well, probably longer now, actually. It's kind of tragic. Uh, I guess we're both getting pretty old, Sandra, but, <laughs> but maybe six or seven years ago? Yes, yes. I'm not sure if it was Hong Kong, it might have been Thailand, um, but we've traveled a little bit together, uh, working on a couple different development projects in, uh, in Southeast Asia, essentially, yes, really, isn't right. it? that's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we started tonight uh, with dinner before the podcast, and we kind of were commiserating on where we actually, or when was the last time we saw each other, and we're not yeah, might have been a few years ago already. Might, yeah. might have been a few years already. So, well, anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Tai, can I call you Dr. Oh, Tai? Oh, call me Sandra. Sandra, okay. Uh, is here today to talk about, um, I guess, some of the things she's doing around the world uh, as an instructor, as a teacher, as a dentist, as an orthodontist, as a specialist, and uh, uh, about how she's, um, you know, making a difference in other people's lives. So, so Sandra, tell me... Um, so why, uh, so you're an orthodontist, which is a specialist, obviously. Yes. Why, uh, why dentistry? I mean, why does anyone choose to become a dentist? Okay, I grew up in a family of 
doctors. And my mother had four brothers, three of them were doctors. So growing wow. up, okay. my mother always said, you're going to grow up and become a doctor, like your Uncle Peter and your Uncle John. And right. it was always medical school for me. At 16, I was bringing bunnies and rats home and you know, doing surgery, dissection on them. But at some point, uh, I decided that dentistry was similar enough to medicine, but would give me the, the freedom and the leisure time you know, compared to the stress of being a doctor. And yet, at the same time, I was helping people. Uh, a certain type of people go into medicine and dentistry, mm -hmm. the type that wants to help people. We want to make the world a better place. And I in dental school, you study a lot of medicine. And so it seemed like a really good fit for me. As well, dentistry is um, a combination of both art and hmm. science. As an orthodontist, we design people's smiles. So there's some sort of an artistic feel to it, but at the same time, it's also a science and the biology. And the best thing of all is I just love meeting people and interacting with people on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, doesn't, uh, can't a teacher make the world a better place? Oh yes, the teacher. I think we all have different yeah. uh, passions and different callings that's put into us. And so some people are called to be a teacher and some people are called to be a doctor and some people are called to be and, a doctor. And do you, do you sense that you felt that? Like you were, I mean, obviously it's a part of your history, part of your family and so on, but you were clearly drawn in yes, that way? Yes, I yeah. was. In fact, I, I very much broke with tradition. Uh, I'm Asian and of course in an Asian family and you did well at school, you were expected to become a doctor right. and being the firstborn in my family. <laughs> and so in order to please my parents, I applied mm. to both medical school and dental school, thinking this will solve my dilemma once and for all. Right. But it didn't because I got accepted into both medical and dental school. And I had the, you know, sort of the very difficult task of coming to my parents and saying, look, I've been accepted to both, but I really want to become an orthodontist. And in order to become an orthodontist, I have to become a dentist first. And I think initially they were very disappointed at me, hmm. their firstborn child has the opportunity to become a doctor and turns that down in order to become, you know, an orthodontist and they were not quite sure what an orthodontist did. But I've never regretted my yeah. choice. Yeah, it sure doesn't sound like it. Yeah, and you can see that, you know, my, my career and my work is really part of my passion. Is there some kind of, um, I mean, uh, uh, positional hierarchy? Is it, is it about... Uh, Salary is it about prestige in the Asian culture that says? I mean, everybody thinks their kids, I suppose, are going to be doctors or lawyers or scientists. Yes, yes. I suppose, yes. but it does seem to be a bit of a cliche, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And you know, it's it's very interesting in certain cultures. And and I heard that in Jewish culture, you don't raise kids; you're raising doctors and lawyers. <laughs> and I I think because of the the fear that people have with with dentists and dentistry in general. I've met very few people who grew up saying, I want to be a dentist. Right. Usually they grow up I saying, wanna, I want to be a doctor. I want to drill holes in people's <laughs> teeth. That's what I want to do for a living. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, I, uh, I've, you know what, in, in, in I, I have a great dentist now and he, you know, may listen to this, but I, I, I've, I've actually had a pretty bad experience with dentists over the years. I think all of us can point to yeah. one really bad yeah. childhood experience yeah. with a dentist that's, you know, scarred us for life. Yes. And until we meet someone who turns that perception around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who who seems to care a little bit more about me than maybe just my teeth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so I found it tonight over dinner, and, and thanks for dinner, by the way. Um, 
you've got this military background. You've been all over the world before you've been all over the world. So now you're traveling teaching and instructing and lecturing and so on. Uh, but before that, years ago, you, you, you've got this quite, the, quite a global background. Yes, well, um, as I introduced myself, David, and I often introduce myself to, to people where I'm meeting for the very first time, that I'm actually British by birth. My father was in the army and he studied at Sandhurst Military Academy in England. Um, Malaysian by upbringing, that's the Asian part of me. American by education, and now I'm Canadian by citizenship. And oftentimes I fail to tell people, somewhere in that mix, when I see them looking at me and they still have this uh, look on their face, I go, oh yes, and by the way, I'm ethnic Chinese. <laughs> so yes, you're right, I do have a very, very background, and I find that that has really allowed me to connect with many people across all sorts of cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, and wherever I go in the world, there's always a common connect with the people that I meet. Um, we definitely have to talk a little bit about some of the places that you've been, and I think probably one of the most fascinating to me is Saudi Arabia, and some of the pictures you showed me. I want to I ask about that in a second, but do you think that your background... I mean, I, I think I think one of the things I'm trying to do with face-to-face, uh, -face, the podcast and my writing now and pretty much everything that I'm, the teaching that I do, it's about planting seeds. Yes. You know, and I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and, you know, how can I intentionally ask them questions that hopefully will grow into something bigger down the road or questions that they will extend or, uh, you know, create a level of interest in them. You know, I, every time we see the moon, I will stop. Honestly, I'm not kidding. I will say, guys, check out the moon. I mean, hoping, trusting, praying that someday, you know, they'll start noticing these things as poets do, as writers do. Do you think that, so you've got this, you know, this, this history with your family of doctors and so on, and clearly lots of seeds were planted there of caring for others and so on. Do you think you're, you're, you're traveling, you know, your, 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 your stamped passport of your past, do you think that had any impact on, um, the work that you're doing today, your desire to, to be out there, to, to you oh, know, yeah. we met in, we yes, met in Thailand sure, or yes. Cambodia or Hong Kong, I don't know where it was, but yes. it was at a conference overseas. I've, I've lived in many places all my life and uh, well-traveled even as a child. And so now traveling as an adult or getting on a plane to fly halfway across the world uh, two or three times a year, it, it's really uh, not an issue for me. I love to s check out new cultures and to meet people from different cultures. And talking about planting seeds, I think that's really the idea of it, is wherever we are, we bring that light and shine it wherever we are. And so I'm going to tell you a few stories. You mentioned Saudi Arabia. So here I am, I'm going to Saudi Arabia, and I'm sent by the university here to go and teach for U a couple that, of days. Is that university. UBC? UBC? Yes, University of British Columbia. So I, I, I have to find out how they dress in the culture, what they eat, how does a woman behave in a, in a culture where they're not allowed to drive, where they're segregated by their sex? And so I get my black abayas and my headscarves. Now, can I interrupt? You told me yes. you had, did you have dinner somewhere where you sat with the women and you were actually separated from the men? Yes, we had lunch yeah. every day like that, where I had lunch with the women and the, uh, behind a screen and we were served our food while the men had a buffet line that they lined up at to get their hmm. food. Uh, so every day I had lunch with the Saudi women, mm -hmm. uh, most of whom spoke English. Oh, okay. And the interesting thing is, in conversation, you know, uh, across cultural and nationality barriers and faith barriers, we were all concerned about the same thing. Right. Our family, nice. 
childcare, juggling childcare and career because these women were dentists. They were concerned about their children's education. They were concerned about their marriage. And I found that across the world, we are not that different after all. And then in the evening, I'd go out for dinner with eight men. I call it the entourage because we were being hosted as VIP guests. And on the third evening, I was sitting down and having dinner with the men. And I'm sure it might have been very interesting to them to meet a Canadian professor who ironically, you know, looks ethnic Chinese, but dressed in their cultural garments like a Muslim woman. And these men actually said, you know, they're, they're, they're whispering among themselves and finally one of them plucks up the courage and says, we want to ask you a question. And I said, sure, you know, ask me anything you want. And they said, we want to know, are you a Muslim? Oh, wow. And I thought, wow. oh man, I might get, you know, I, I don't know what to say, I'm in a corner. Do I say yes? Do I say no? Uh, am I going to put myself into a difficult situation by saying I'm a Christian? So I actually tried to take the most tactful way out and I said, why do you ask me if I'm a Muslim? And they said, we've been observing you for three days now. Hmm. You know, this, this unique female professor from Canada who dresses like a Muslim woman, looks Chinese, and yet is able to teach dentistry at this level of competence. And they said, we've been observing you for three days now, and we are trying to guess if you're a Muslim, because the way you carry yourself, the way you wear the headscarf, it is so natural. We hmm. figured you must be a Muslim woman. Hmm. Hmm. And so here I am in this dilemma. Mm -hmm. I'm in a strange mm -hmm. country. I'm surrounded mm -hmm. by eight men, and I say, well, actually, I'm not a Muslim woman. And they wouldn't let it rest. So they said, if you're not Muslim, what are you? Hmm. And interestingly enough, in Saudi culture, it is more important that you have a faith than if you have no faith. Right. You don't have to be the same faith, but you believe in some kind yes. of a God hypothesis or a creator right. or something. Yes. Yeah, 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 so, sure. Uh, Interesting. So finally, I, didn't, I, didn't I know said, that. well, um, I'm a Christian. And at that point, they kind of let it rest. And I figured, you know, they probably think all Canadians are going to be Christians. But yes, later yeah. on, when I was recounting the story to one of my friends, you know, they said, you know what, Sandy, you might have been the only Christian woman they have ever met in their life. Hmm. And what hmm. an example you set for hmm. them, that you carried yourself so well. They mm -hmm. said, this person mm -hmm. respects our culture, she wears the headscarf, mm -hmm. she could have been a Muslim woman. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's what I call planting a seed. Yeah, sure. Well, it's a, there's a real sense of, um, I don't know, humanity and humility to that that I think is, uh, I mean, really missing from, I mean, my background in the last 10 or 12 years has been development. And, and, and uh, so I'm teaching postgraduate students, often quite young, certainly young to me now, unfortunately. Um, uh, but but they've, there's, there's a certain percentage of them, so about 80 students every year, and there's a certain percentage that have this, um, hmm, well, it's arrogance, frankly. It's I know it. I've, or I know the answers, I've got it all sorted, you know. And so, you know, we really, at, at Humber College, uh, we really try to kick that whole notion out of them that you don't actually have the answers. And in some cases, the cultures that you're going to go into, they already have the answers. It's just about you coming alongside and helping to build capacity or lending a hand uh, or propping someone up, you know, and letting them run on their own two feet. And, and uh, I don't know, it sounds to me like there was a... Uh, well, a cross-cultural sensitivity there 
Uh, yes. You weren't you weren't just putting on a show. No, this no, was this yeah. was out of deep respect for this culture and for these men, basically, or for these people. Yes, men and, and I think women. Part that of that met. comes from the fact that I'm I'm well traveled cross culturally. Right. Yes. And, yeah, I would think so you know, too. I've been yeah. To many countries in, in Asia, third world countries involved in development projects yeah, sure, and so on. Sure. Did you ever sense, um, you know, you made the comment about, you know, I'm uh, how I'm a competent professor as a woman. Yes. Did you ever feel that there was this sense of, um, I don't know, surprise <laughs> from the men? Wow, you're really smart. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I think so. And it wasn't until after I, I came back that uh, my dean took me aside and said, you know, you did something extraordinary in Saudi. I said, what did I do? I, I just went and I did my spiel. And, and he said that in their culture, men will teach men and women, but women could only teach women. Women right. would never right. teach the men. And he said, I didn't want to tell you this before you went because I didn't want to intimidate you, but the fact that you stood up in a room and you taught both men and women was the first. So they actually said to you, you had mentioned to me earlier that uh, before the tape was playing, that they wanted you to teach a group of men and then teach a group of women. And you kind of pushed back and said, no, hang on, I'm only doing the lecture once. And you guys need to figure that out. And so they, they, set the, uh, they sat the women at the back? Yes, so they did, they did have some segregation. Yeah, the sure. men sat in the front of the room and the women sat in the last few rows in the room. And how did... Were, I mean, it's fascinating to me <laughs> for so many reasons. And I know these things happen all over the world at uh, various times throughout every day. How, how do you think it changed the dynamic for you as a teacher, as, a, as the professor, as the... Well, I think for once it drew the women in to mm -hmm. the teaching. Because here, here was a professional, a fellow professional that they could identify with. Um, and, uh, and I think it was more all-encompassing and inclusive, so that the women, instead of just being observers, watching men taught by men, could actually be included uh, into were, the were they Were they asking questions? Were they? Yes, yes, they participated, they asked questions. And of course, uh, when we had the, the social time together during meal times, you know, the questions were, were more interesting and more, more personal. Right, uh, right. Because really, I was the first female foreign professor they had hmm. an opportunity to interact with. To, to actually hang out with. Yes, yes. Wow. So you really felt that you broke down some, some pretty serious relational and cultural barriers yes, by the sounds of Yes, you know, on, on the last day, uh, the women presented me with their abayas, which is their traditional Saudi gowns, and gave me a few more and said, when you come back, you can wear these. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's really quite, it's really quite fascinating to me because, uh, I mean, I've spent a few years in the academic community, mm -hmm. not a PhD, but a master's degree, and, you know, spent a lot of time hanging out with professors over the years. They're not typically the most relational folk in the world. Mm -hmm. Not typically, you know, kind of it's the, the, the studious kind of guy in the corner type, you know, that, that doesn't really doesn't really relate too well, yes. mostly, to yes. folks. And, and it's, but it sounds like you, uh, you did incredibly well. Yeah, and I think you know one of the very unique things about uh, about myself is the ability to combine what I call my marketplace identity huh. with with ministry or with sharing of my faith and my life story. For instance, I was in September. I was at Beijing University in Beijing teaching dentistry, and at the end of a very long day of teaching, uh, a number of top professors and myself, of course, as the guest, went out for dinner together. 
And during the dinner, you know, there were a lot of personal questions, and they asked about, you know, how I got to practice dentistry in Canada. And that really opened up a door for me to share my personal life story with them. How when um, I first came to Canada, I had to reset my licensing board exams. Uh, they were difficult, tough years when you first come to a new country, you settle in, you're somebody where you came from, but you're nobody here because right. nobody recognizes who you are. And I think I went through a very difficult, tough four years. The first where had four you, years we settled in Canada. Where had you been practicing dentistry before that? Um, in, in the U.S. In the U.S. And as well as in Malaysia. Oh, okay. So I shared with them my life story, and I shared with them how much my faith in God meant to me. And if not for my faith in God, I don't think I would have ever survived those few years, uh, difficult years of settling down in Canada and, and getting my licensing papers in place and everything. And it was very interesting when I came back to Canada, I got an email from one of the doctors who were present at that dinner and said, you know, uh, Dr. Tai, your teaching during the day was really good and I learned a lot from it, but it was your life story you huh. shared with us over dinner hmm. that had a real impact on me. Hmm. Hmm. So this comes back to the planting yeah, seeds, sure. you know, wherever we are, that we can personify not only what we do as a professional in our career, but we're able to sort of impact into other people's lives in many different ways. I love what you said about how, um, what was the line you used? It's almost in a way, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, we're not that different after all, you said, yes. when you were sitting down with the women and you were having conversations about children and childcare and marriage and so on, and these were colleagues. Um, it really kind of, uh, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful reminder to me of how we kind of, I mean, it's not we kind of are, we are all in this together. Mm -hmm. This great, big, crazy, beautiful, wonderful, insane mess that we call the world, yes. you know? And, yes. and uh, I think, yes, there's lots of reasons to be discouraged. You know, what's going on in Israel and the Middle East right now, it's pretty discouraging, you know, when, when you read the paper, but I think, you know, too often we don't hear these kinds of stories, mm -hmm. you know, and, and get to embrace and celebrate this, uh, this, I don't know, that, that, that we are, you know, I was also, I was almost going to say we are all one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not convinced of that, but at the same time, I really do believe there's way more similarities. That's right. Yes. Way more similarities than there are differences. Tell me a little bit more about the gender thing. I'm fascinated by that. So one of my fans, from a Canadian perspective, is Stephen Lewis. The work he's done uh, with respect to HIV-AIDS, I've heard him speak many times. I've worked with him a few times on a couple different events. And he believes, and writes quite extensively about it, that, that gender and education are the two sort of silver bullets for, sorry, gender justice, you know, mm -hmm. solving that gap. Yes. And so here you are, young woman coming out of this family of doctors who clearly had a lot to prove, I would think. I would think. <laughs> and you've done incredibly well. Um, so you've definitely been able to handle those, uh, uh, you know, uh, hurdles. And now you're going into these other sort of different cultures and, and you're, the, you're the expert, right? You're up, everyone's sitting there looking and listening to you. Right, mm -hmm. so I'm, I don't know. I just I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that whole idea of gender disparity and uh, do you think it's going to make all the difference? I was in Burkina Faso working on a reconciliation project a few years ago, and I uh, probably told this story before on, uh, on the podcast. But there was this in 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 the city of Ouagadougou, trees would die, big, wonderful, beautiful trees. I can't remember what kind of wood they were, and uh, car artisans would come along and carve them, 
and we passed by this one. So here's this dead tree that's been carved into this beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, uh, sculpture. And it's uh, a woman, clearly, who's uh, probably out farming. And she's got a baby uh, on her back, uh, a plate of um, water or fruit, something on her head. And in her hand, she's carrying an axe or a hoe. It was a hoe, not an axe. And I remember turning around and saying to the, the man who was a Muslim in the car at the time, and I said, wow, do you think there's anything else we could ask her to do? You know, like, holy cow, where's the <laughs> husband? Where's the man in this picture? And it just, for me, it just brought it all home, you know, mm -hmm. how, how important it is. Um, anyway, any, any thoughts about that from, from your travels and, and being in that position of leadership? And yeah, I think, first of all, you know, I, I really believe in education for girls. I think it starts at that very, very basic level. And there are many, many studies have shown that when you educate the girls, the whole standard of living of the entire family Yeah, things up. change. Where you have an educated mother, you're going to have educated children. You can change it in one generation by sending girls to school. I think I was very fortunate to grow up in uh, a part of the world where if you would believe it that um, I felt less discrimination as a woman huh. than I do here in North America. Is that right? In eh? fact, large numbers of professors in universities in Asia, in China, are all women. And so I went to a Catholic high school, all-girls school, so there were no boys to take positions of leadership. We had to stand up and we had to take positions of leadership. And I felt that that was a very, um, that was really a key. We weren't looking to a guy to take a position of leadership. Right. There were no guys in school. Right. So the girls had to step up to positions of leadership. I did a lot of my leadership training was holding positions of responsibility, even from, from a high school age. And uh, it's very interesting, the countries that I travel in now, which are mainly in Asia and in China, I've never felt discriminated against the fact that I'm a professional female. Um, and I, I don't play that up either. Right, right. Yeah, you don't give me the sense that you play it up yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to be very gender neutral when I, yeah, when sure, I teach. Sure. And, uh, and I'm very well accepted in the areas where I go. They're, they're thinking of actually uh, starting me on a teaching circuit in North America. Oh, okay. And I actually, when they interviewed me for that, I actually just said, you know, I've, I've seen the type of people who teach for, for you, and we're talking about this uh, orthodontic technique uh, company, and I said, they're all male, they're white, and they're 70 years old. <laughs> and how do you see me as a young Asian female yeah. coming to teach I thought that was that only politics. Yeah. No. And, you know, to his great credit, this is the director of clinical education, he came right back to me and said, we are looking for diversity mm. in the people we send out to teach. We just have not found the right combination where a person can demonstrate clinical excellence as well as a passion for teaching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it seems to me like you've got uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, points coming together. Yeah. Um, so. so we can go back to the gender thing for sure. I'm interested, though, that you said you felt a little maybe more discrimination here in some regards, or at least in the West, yes. than in some of the countries. Is it more implicit, would you say? Um, or tacit? Or 
Well, yes. Like, for instance, the first dental conference I attended in Canada after I graduated from graduate school, I go up to the registration desk and ask for my name tag, and the person sitting behind the desk says, which doctor are you with? <laughs> right. Implying Who are you interning I'm with? a female, yeah, I right. could not be a doctor. Could not be a doctor. And I must be a doctor's assistant. Right. So that's of just course. one, one yeah, example. Yeah, sure, for sure. Huh. Um, so tell me about this, this um, invisible braces. Is that what they are? They're invisible braces, right? Yes. So I, had, yes. I didn't have the train tracks as a kid. I had uh, this big, ugly piece of flesh-colored plastic that I stuck in my mouth at night and ended up creating all kinds of saliva and so on. But I think <laughs> my teeth are not bad, aren't they? Her? Oh, they're, they're great. Yeah. They've got a great smile. So good. My mom would be very pleased because I think they put a bit of, bit of money into that. But yeah, so I was quite thrilled that I didn't have to wear those crazy train tracks. Um, but it's, it's weird. I don't know if you would agree, but the train track-like kind of brace is almost a status symbol with young young women today in some respects or at least it was for a couple years yes, yes maybe maybe that's passe now I don't know but uh, anyway that's not important tell me about the braces you're you're, you're dealing with what your expertise is in and what you're teaching on because yeah. it's pretty cool the type of braces uh, I'm teaching on is called Invisalign or clear aligners they're clear plastic shells or clear plastic trays that fit over your teeth that you would wear and you would you know, change them every two weeks, and each one your tooth is straighter on it than the week before. So when you say you change them, that's not just because they're dirty. You're actually changing the the, the degree to which your teeth are yes, being tweaked. Yes, the positions of the teeth. The yes, positions of the right. teeth. Thanks. So every every one that you put in your mouth, your teeth are a little straighter than the way huh. before, and the plastic sort of um, molds your teeth into that new position until your teeth are straight. So gone are the days of train tracks. Right. Now you can have invisible braces, and if you were sitting across from me at the table and you were wearing them, yeah. I would not be able to tell. In really? fact, I've gone out with, with my patients, and I've not been able to tell that they were wearing their Amazing. invisible, and invisible so, aligners. So they're speaking, they're playing games, they're sports, yes, they're, yes, are they I eating have, as well? Eating with these things? Uh, you can eat with them on, but uh, it's a little messy. Yeah. <laughs> but because they're so invisible, you know, we have a number of celebrities, of singers, you know, uh, people in public life who would wear them and get their teeth straightened yeah. and all, the whole time nobody would know. Nobody would know. Is it the kind of thing that you can sort of, um, I don't know, you go into an important meeting so you, you can pop them out and if you're yes, that you self-conscious of it and stick them in water or whatever you have to do? and uh, Yeah, you just pop them off and stick them in your pocket. Um, you know, but I've, 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 I've done it for so many types of celebrities and people and important people. I remember doing it for a business person and I, uh, three days later I said, how did that go? I, are you wearing them at all during the day? And he said, no, I went, I've gone to a couple of business meetings and I may have listed a little, but nobody commented on my speech right. and I think nobody really knew they nobody were in knew. my mouth except yeah. I was very conscious. Yeah. Um, Do you think, um, is there a sense of personal pride behind your teeth? like? I think because I've had mostly a full head of teeth or mouth of teeth or whatever you say in orthodontic yes, work, yes. is yeah. there a sense of, um, hmm, if you're missing teeth, are you less of a person? You no, know? I don't think is so, there... but you know, the impact of having a nice smile yeah. on a person's self-esteem yeah, yeah. is immeasurable. Yeah. I, have huh. Seen, huh. I have seen people changed because they had a new and different smile. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I have fresh stories. Last week, I had a lady, and when she first came, 
um, she was very cool and reserved and I thought it was because her husband was someone who was very well known and hmm. throughout Canada and mm -hmm. therefore this lady had to sort of keep her clots right, close sure. to her chest. Sure. She said very little when she came in from appointments and then we completed the treatment and lo and behold an amazing transformation. Hmm. She walked in, she was talking, chatting, uh, her husband and I and my husband and I went out for dinner that night and she was completely social and we looked at each other and said what happened you know because she had this new smile it was just amazingly transformational and I've seen that transform ordinary people hmm. to very famous people I've, I've treated some uh, very well-known singers who on previous album covers would never smile and show their right, teeth. Right. And when they got their new smile, the next album cover that comes big, up. Big smile. Big smile showing their teeth. And you'd think somebody that well-known and famous wouldn't have a self-esteem problem. Sure, sure, but sure. But it really reflects on how a person feels on the inside. Do you think it's just, um, um, do you think the smile is, uh, do you think there's some, I mean, I've read, I've read articles about the muscles when you smile. It takes more muscles to not smile than it does to smile or something like that. Like to frown yes. actually is sort of bad for you physiologically. Yes, Whereas yes. smiling, uh, do you think there's something to that? Oh yes, of course. I think um, when you have that self-esteem and that self-confidence, it just comes through in every area of your life. And um, I, I love seeing the transformation mm. in a person's life we see a lot of children, of course, you know. And I remember we take before and after pictures. And right. one of my before right. pictures. My dentist's office, they have a couple of those now. Right. Yep. Yep. We had this nine-year-old girl. And we, was, we like to take pictures in different poses. And one of them, we want to see how much of their tea shows when they smile. Mm -hmm. And we said, can you smile? And this nine-year-old girl says, I don't smile. Hmm. My brother makes fun of my underbite. You know, and my heart just broke. Well, I and bet I said, it did. Honey, yeah. you're in the right place. We're gonna fix that. <laughs> we're gonna for fix you. that. Yeah. And then to see these same kids. Yeah, that's know, cool. That's pretty uh, neat. Two years later, when we're taking the after pictures, and they're smiling, they're talking, they're confident. It's such an amazing thing. I was in um, I was in Cambodia in November, uh, working with uh, an organization in a project up in North. Where were we? Northeastern Cambodia, not far from the Laotian border, mm -hmm. and we went with a bush doctor. Who basi which basically I think means not really a doctor, but has some first aid <laughs> training and a few sharp instruments in his bag. Anyway, uh, I walk over to the house on stilts, as you know, you've been to Cambodia, yes. uh, flooding in this area, and there's this line of people lined up. And I walk up and there's this guy who I would def define as a crazy nut, standing there with surgical gloves on in his civilian outfit, and he's got his assistant, who I've just met from the trip, they're pulling teeth. Oh! Um, people who have, um, I guess, infections, abscesses, is yes, that right? Yes, yes. He's got all his stuff laid out on the bamboo picnic table, and the mother, or the wife of the guy who owns this house, is cooking dinner over here, open fire, just about six feet away. In walks the big, tall, white, bald guy. <laughs> and uh, to say hello and see what's going on. Well, they immediately start making a big bit of a scene and grab me a plastic lawn chair that they've got to sit me right down so that I can watch this guy pulling Pull teeth. these Cambodian <laughs> teeth. Because that's what I want to do, right? That's yes. what I'm here for. Um, don't ask me why they thought that was important. 
But I just, I mean, it, I mean, you're you're a little a little removed from that kind of dentistry. Have yes. you ever been on the ground in that way, um, uh, where you've been? Yes, I have. Sort yes, of emer yes. almost emergency and medicine. It's amazing how people walk three days through the jungle or from village to village. I bet. Yeah. Uh, to find someone who will pull their teeth. Yeah. 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 yeah the pain, the discomfort, yes, and so on. Yes. Why is this? Um, why are these invisible braces so hard? Like. They sound like plastic inserts to me. What's the big deal? Why are you going to Saudi Arabia to teach about that? Like, I mean, it's just... Well, because it's the latest evolution in braces. Like you said, nobody wants the train tracks anymore. Yes. The train yeah. tracks have been around for 100 years. And for the longest time, that was the only way orthodontists knew how to do things. And these type of braces were only made possible with the evolution of technology. Because... This is the first mass-produced custom-made orthodontic appliance in the world. Hmm. And it's a completely different technique, a completely different way of moving teeth. But I really believe it's the wave of the future. One day, the train tracks will no longer be here. And we'll all be using clear plastic to move teeth. Are, are they affordable? Like, can most people afford them at this point? Oh, or not yeah. Quite yet? Actually, in my practice, I charge the same as fixed braces. Oh, is that right? Eh? It's not any more expensive in, in my practice. So it's not hard. It's not that hard to correct your smile. No, no. Not, not as hard as it used to be, anyway. That's right. So what is next then? Um, we'll probably we should probably wrap up uh, our, our conversation here today. But what what's next for you? I mean, are you? I mean, is this? I mean, you're 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 teaching orthodontists. You're teaching other specialists, basically. That's currently. right. Yes. Do you see that branching out in any way? I mean, it sounds like there's some desire to take you into the U.S. and Canada, yeah, Western I see, tour, you know, basically. Yeah. For me, I think um, I, I love the traveling. I'm passionate about the teaching, mm. and I see myself moving more and more into teaching. Uh, I currently teach uh, the master's and the PhD students at the University of British Columbia, people who are already dentists and training to become orthodontists. Uh, but also by, by traveling globally and teaching, it's really set me up with a global network of like-minded hmm. professionals. And, you know, to, to be an educator, one must always be engaged in a continuous mode of learning as well. Right. So recently yeah. I was yeah. in Singapore, not to teach, hmm. but to learn from Asian speakers and to see what Asian doctors are doing with this appliance as opposed to North American doctors. And I've, you know, uh, when they interviewed me for North America and said, how, how can we help you? What would you like from us? And I said, give me opportunities to learn so that I can be a better educator. Hmm. And I believe that's really the, the key. And I see that in the future that I will continue to travel and teach more and mentor uh, like-minded professionals. It's fantastic, uh, Sandra. Thank, thanks for your time today. I, uh, I, have, I, I think we should do a podcast just on the smile. I yes. think that would and be And we should do a podcast on China. On China. I would love to talk to you yeah. about China. Yeah, well, you're barely Chinese. How can you talk about China? <laughs> Hang on, let me get this straight. You're a Malaysian, British, American, Canadian, formerly Chinese person. Yes. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, is that about right? Ethnically Chinese. Ethnically Chinese. That's, it's a hilarious story. It really is cool. Thank you so much for your time and generosity, and I will look forward to uh, chatting with you again. Thank you.